Amen. 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 That was Lee Strobel. If you ever want to read some of his books, they're fantastic. Case for Christ, Case for Faith. And if you're here today and you're like, you know, Pastor, I'm not not real sure about the whole Jesus thing, but I'd like to, to know more. My story is maybe a lot like uh, like Lee's. Um, I would just encourage you to get some of those books and research it for yourself to see how overwhelming the evidence is. How many of you, you believe something that wasn't true? Raise your hand if you ever believed something that wasn't true. Okay, three of you. Okay, I, 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 you know, I, it's funny how we can look at something and we think, well, this has got to be true. How many of you, maybe you believe something that was on social media? Maybe somebody said something on Facebook, say, hey, look out for this because blah, 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 blah. And then when you actually did some research on it, it wasn't true. We all know if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. Right, if it's if it's on the maybe it was um hey if you send Bill Gates has sent out an email if you send this email to a hundred other people Bill Gates is willing to give you thousands of dollars right we we've we've seen all these things it's easy for us uh, to believe something that maybe isn't true because we haven't really investigated it what I want to talk about today is an unbelieving heart how do we overcome just like just like Lee Strobel just said. He was an atheist. He didn't believe it until he started to look into it himself. And the evidence was overwhelming. And so what I want us to do is, as followers of Christ, or as you're seeking Christ, we don't have to check our brains at the door to believe who Jesus is. I I was looking, I was doing some research, and and I, I was looking at some news stories that were thought to be true, but it ended up being fake. So this isn't fake news, okay? This is, this is, this is true. These were stories that were circulating and people thought they were, uh, that thought they might have been true. Let me give you a couple of stories that were circulating that might have been true, might have been false. One of the stories that were circulating is there was a story that was circulating. I know you're not going to believe this, but there was a story that was circulating that they thought that chocolate would be extinct in 40 years. I know some of you, your heart just stopped. Your heart, and I'm thinking if it's 40 years, I'm going to be dead anyway. So what, who cares, right? Uh, but, but obviously this story turned out to be false. How many of you, uh, when you were growing up, you believed that George Washington had, had wooden teeth? How many remember that? Okay, that's, that, that's false. Some people are like, who's George Washington? Okay, he's the father of our nation. Okay. Um, there's a story um, that is very well known. About World War One, how many of you fought in World War One? Anybody here? Okay, just checking. Uh, there was a story that uh, German, French, and English troops during Christmas had a ceasefire on the front lines, and so what they did is during they just called a truce during Christmas, and it was on the front line, and they began to sing carols, exchange gifts, play soccer. And they had a Christmas truce. Actually, that is a true story. Amazing as it is, it's a true story. Um, the U.S. penny costs considerably more than a penny to actually manufacture. How many believe that that's true? How many believe that that's false? Okay, a couple of you. Well, it's true. It does cost considerably more to, to manufacture. Think about it. Our, our government doesn't waste money. So, how, you know, I know that's like, how could that actually be true? I, um, I, 
I like those shows on TV that try to seek the truth. There's one show that I'm just hooked on. And, and the show never goes anywhere because they never find out anything. But I watch it because I'm just like, just maybe this time they will find Bigfoot. Just maybe. Maybe this time they will find the Loch, I'm, Loch Ness Monster. I am hooked on these shows. And there's a show called Destination Truth. Um, and I just, I, I love this. Josh Gates, I don't know if you guys ever watched this show. It's, I think it's on the Travel Channel or History Channel. I think it's on the Travel Channel. I just love the show. And they go to all these remote areas trying to find these different things. And they never find anything. And Kathleen, my wife, just laughs at me. And she's like, really? We got to watch this thing again. They're not going to find it. I said, maybe, maybe this time he will have an encounter with Bigfoot. I don't know. Maybe it's out there. And so we, there is something about trying to find the truth and knowing the truth. And I believe this. If Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come unto the Father except through him, we need to check this out. See, I said this last week. The problem with many people that they have with Christianity is not about Jesus, it's with Christians. And I'm going to be honest with you, Christians have not represented Jesus very well. And so what they'll do is they'll make their perceptions or who Jesus is based on the way Christians may live their lives. And maybe not in such a great way. Or maybe there's some hypocrisy that we see there. And I, and I believe all of that is true to some degree. But the problem is we can't base our judgment on Jesus based on maybe how people live their lives, whether it's good or not so good in representing Christ. We have to look at the claims of what Jesus said about himself. That's really, if we're going to be honest this morning, that's where it all boils down to. Either Jesus is or he isn't. C.S. Lewis's great quote says he's either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. He's either the biggest liar the world's ever seen because he's the one that perpetrated all this. He's the one that said he was the son of God. He was the one that said he came to seek and save that which was lost. Or he's just weird. He's just a lunatic. Or he actually is Lord. Jesus really didn't give us any in-between. Jesus didn't come and say, you know, I'm just a good person. Or I've come to do good social works. All those things Jesus did. He did heal people. He did feed people. But at the end of the day, Jesus came to die. Jesus came to give his life. The purpose for Jesus coming, he said it himself, was not just to come and feed the poor and to heal people. The purpose of Jesus coming was to seek and save that which was lost. And the reason we're lost is because of our sin that has separated us from God. So everything, everything about Christianity, let's just call it out, rises and falls on the resurrection. Because without the resurrection... Jesus is just another man, a good man, maybe a good prophet, good philosopher, but just another man. I like what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul realizes this. The apostle Paul realizes because he says, and if Christ had not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. You know, why did I come to church and put a tie on today? I have a tie on today, by the way. You notice that? Ruth Brooks likes it. She goes, Pastor, you got, and I got new shoes, my wingtip shoes. Aren't they nice? Look at these babies. Nice and shiny. I got dressed up for you guys today, okay? You're probably not going to see this for another year, but maybe Mother's Day. Maybe Mother's Day. Maybe, maybe. I'll pull out another tie. But here's the thing. If none of this is true, 
If none of this is true, Paul is saying that our preaching is useless, your faith is useless, and we as apostles will all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith, faith is youth, useless, and we're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all have died believing in Christ our law. So what Paul is saying here, without the resurrection, everything we believe is meaningless. Jesus was just another man, which means we have no hope, we have no future, and we have no eternal life. So if it is true, here's the thing I want you to think about. If it is true, then everything changes. It's not, see, I think what happens with Easter, if we're not careful we can kind of look at it as a sentimental holiday of spring and new life. And we kind of get sentimental about it. It is so much more than that. Easter is so much more than just thinking about some sentimental feelings of, oh, this is a nice day and there's, you know, spring. And well, in Rochester, June is spring. You know, it's coming. We think it's there that, you know, the daffodils are somewhere underneath there. Come up, Right. But if it's just sentimental, then it's not going to transform us. It passes with the time. But if Jesus is who he says he is, it will transform your heart and life. And that's why the apostles gave their lives. You would, wouldn't you think, if Jesus didn't appear to the apostles and the early disciples, don't you think someone would have said, hey, I'm out. I'm, t- I'm tapping out. This is great, but now we're starting to lose our lives for this? Uh, This thing's great, but I'm not going to keep perpetrating this lie. But notice that every apostle, except for we know about the apostle John, gave a martyr's death for what they believed because they saw the risen Savior. Why would they do that if they were just telling people a lie? They did it because they saw the risen Savior. So Jesus encountered many people who did not believe in him. Even with signs and wonders, still many did not believe in him. And what I want to do real quickly is just show you four different scenarios and situations that Jesus had with people's unbelief. Because I think, listen, we, we can have all the evidence in the world. I mean, Jesus did miracles before people, and yet their hearts were still hardened. We can have all the historical evidence about Jesus' resurrection, that he's not there. But the problem is not so much many times the evidence. It's with unbelief. Even with all the evidence, I still refuse to believe. And I want to give this because I think this is the biggest hurdle for us to jump over. Because me growing up, I grew up in church. You know, I I grew up in church, going to Sunday school. I, I believed in Jesus. I believed in God. But it didn't transform my heart. It was just something I believed. It's something I did. It's something we did once a week. But the rest of the week, I didn't really give any thought to Jesus. I didn't care about reading my Bible. I didn't really care. It's just something I believed. It, it was, my heart was indifferent to the whole thing. It wasn't that I didn't believe. It's, there wasn't a transformation. It was, it, the, the thought of here didn't go 18 inches to here. It wasn't until Christ transformed my heart that I'm like, whoa. Spirit within me, my whole life began to change as a 16-year-old kid. 
See, it's got to travel 18 inches from here to here, and that's what Jesus was dealing with with unbelief. Let me just read you a couple situations here of unbelief. Luke 22, Jesus is before a bunch of religious people, and it says, At daybreak, all the elders and the people assembled, including leaders, priests, teachers of the religious law. Here, here are these people that should know God and should know all the scriptures and should know there's a Messiah coming. Jesus was led before the high council, and they said, Tell us that you are the Messiah. But Jesus replied, If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at the right hand of God. Then they all shouted, so you're claiming to be the Son of God? And he replied, you say that I am. Why do you need other witnesses, they said? We ourselves heard him say, because they wanted to kill him. They wanted to hear him say that he was God, that he blasphemed against God so they could send him to be Executed, But it was their unbelief. They didn't want to hear the truth. They were only concerned with doing away with Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus was speaking with a crowd in John 8. He says this, Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you, any of you prove me guilty of sin? No one could. If I'm telling the truth, then why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. And the reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. And then again, Jesus, during the last week of his life, after three years of ministry, walking among people, people still didn't believe. John 12, 37 says, even after Jesus performed many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And so don't fool yourself into thinking, God, give me a sign, right? How many have we done that? God, I'll believe in you if my Cheerios form belief. Or Jesus is real. Then I'll believe. Or if I see something in writing in the clouds, right? If I see this or, you know, if you just text me, I'll take a text. Forget the cheerio things. Just give me a text, God. If you give me a text, then I'll believe. The problem with that is if that's what you're thinking, you're still not going to believe. You still won't. Because here people witness his very miracles before their very eyes, yet their hearts we're still hardened through unbelief. Even after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which could have been women and children, more like 20,000, the next day people followed them because they liked the miracles. But Jesus says this to them. Here's what Jesus says in John 6. Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them for I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will, and that is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of these, of, of, of those he has given me, but that I should rise, uh, raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life and I will raise them up in the last days. Once again, unbelief. Here's the common thread in all these accounts. There's a hardening of the heart. It's a refusal to believe even those that witnessed miracles. So let me give you a couple of things here that, that keep people in unbelief. What, what, what is the obstacles that may keep us from really like, Pastor, I, listen, I believe it, but I, you know, I see some people and their faith, and they're like, they just have crazy faith. I mean, Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe people you go to church with. And you're, and you're like, man, they just believe. When they pray, they, they, like, they like believe. And I, I don't know. I just don't have it. Why don't I have that kind of faith? 
And I believe that God wants to give us all that kind of faith because he's the one that transforms and changes our hearts. Here's the reason why I think there's some obstacles in us truly believing in who Jesus is and being sold out to Christ. Here's a couple of reasons. Well, first of all, I just believe that we want to be our own savior, that we want to be our own savior. It's a it's a it's a control thing. What do I mean by this? Well, most people would consider themselves good. And so what we end up doing is we make up our own rules about morality. And we would say, for the most part, I'm good and I will go to heaven and I can fix myself apart from God. Now, here's what we must consider. Before God, the Bible says, we all come up short. We've all fallen short of God's perfection. A little bit of my goodness will not appease a holy God or stand up against God. How many have ever you felt this way? You've heard stories of people who, who do good things, and then you look at yourself, and you're like, man, I'm not that good. Man, look at these wonderful things they're doing for people, and I'm not, I'm not that good. And then, so then we get in this thing of like, do my good works outweigh my bad works? Do I do enough good things to get into heaven? Here's the thing. You will never do enough good things in order to get into heaven. That's the whole reason Jesus sent us a savior so that we realize we can't do it in our own goodness. Jesus being perfect in his righteousness does everything for us that we can't do for ourselves. So now the things that I do in Christ are not for my benefit to glorify Christ and the grace and the mercy that he's given me to forgive me even when I don't deserve to be forgiven. Think of it this way. When I was in college, I was a tennis player. I wasn't a great tennis player, but I played tennis and I enjoyed it. We play other colleges and I was thinking about this. I was okay. I'm an okay tennis player. And it would be like this. It would be like me trying to go against Roger Federer. Okay. I wouldn't win a game. I probably wouldn't win a point off Roger Federer unless we handcuffed his hands behind his back and made him run around the court on his knees. Maybe, just maybe then. But here's the thing. Even a little bit of my goodness of being an okay tennis player would never match up to the best in the world. That's how we need to view our walk before God, our life before God. Even a little bit of my goodness can never match up to God's holiness. We've all fallen short. So I have to get my unbelief may come from I'm depending too much on myself. Too much on my goodness. Too much on my strength. And so we have to get to the point where he says that, you know what? Uh, I absolutely need a savior. And I need to recognize that my sins have caused me to fall short of God's goodness and God's protection. What I have for you here is I've got a couple video testimonies that I wanted to show to you. Of a couple people in our church who struggle with these very same things. And we're all in the same boat when it comes to unbelief and trying to trust Christ and, and, and realizing that we've fallen short of God's perfection. The first one is video testimony of someone in our church, Kim Forsey. And uh, I wanted her just to share a little bit of how she came to Christ and how God changed her heart and how she realized that she needed a savior. So go ahead and look up at the screens at this time. So I grew up Catholic. Um, I always went to church. I knew there was a God. Um, but I didn't really know him. Um, I knew about the Bible. I never really read the Bible. I knew the beginning. He created us. He created the earth. I knew Jesus died on the cross. And at the end, when we die, we all go to heaven. I never really considered myself a sinner. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I used to joke that, you know, I'd go to confession and I'd just make stuff up because well, I didn't think I was really a sinner, yeah. you know. I was very judgmental. I was gossipy. I cheated. I lied. I did drugs. Um, I had the mouth of a sailor. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to do something, I just did it. If it felt good, it was fine for me. And, you know, I wasn't really hurting anybody, or so I thought. Mm-hmm. My conversion was pretty lengthy. Um, I can talk about a lot of different areas, but I really think that it started around 9-11. Um, a lot of death and devastation and trying to wrap your head around that. You can't just have God on the bad days. Right. He has to be there through everything. That's good. You have to you know, rejoice in him on the great days and thank him for everything that you have. And you need him on those bad days. He's your strength that gets right. you through right. you know, those bad days. Uh, in 2012, my friend's husband um, was in an accident and had a traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. They didn't think he was going to make it. They really don't know what caused it to begin with. Um, but I remember getting on Facebook, and I was sending her messages. And I was actually opening up a Bible, and I was giving her scripture. I was searching for it. I had not opened up a Bible, and I don't know how long. And so I was constantly trying to help her, and I would find, you know, music, and I was posting that to her. Um, you know, just trying to let her know that God's got this. It's in his hands. He's got it. Once it was, my friend Jason, actually, he, he made it. He made a full recovery. And I was in awe because God used me. Mm-hmm. Me. That's good. Within that time frame, about three weeks later, my nephew went into cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. He flatlined three times on the way to the hospital, and we didn't think he was going to make it either. Um, I watched God put people in Dave's path that he was going to be okay. I saw God's awesomeness mm-hmm. um, when everybody was, you know, kind of ready to off. And um, Dave also made a full recovery um, from that incident. So in 2014, I was baptized. Um, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. I knew that not everything was going to be easy in my life. I cried to him and I talked to him. There's days I yell at him, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, it's really very easy to get lost in tragedy um, and when bad things happen to get sucked down and and lose your way. Um, I was in a serious car accident back in June of last year and I wrote a post about it afterwards and I'd just like to share from some of that. Um, The whole time everyone kept saying how lucky I was, how I must have a guardian angel. I said I have God. The grace of God. It was the grace of God. I kept repeating it to everyone I came in contact with, from the EMTs to the hospital staff. I walked away with bruising on my shoulder and down my left side. That's it. Telling this is so very important because the message I want you all to take away from this is there is a God and he loves us. He loves us even when we don't love him. He loves us even on our worst days. Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, loves me and he protected me. He took the beating that I should have received. He took the internal injuries. He took the broken bones. He took the death sentence. He took it all from me. I didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. He did it over 2,000 years ago, and he did it again on June 22, 2017. This is not luck. It wasn't lucky. I was saved. God is not ready for me to come home to him. He still has plans for me here. But when he calls, I will go with open arms. Amen. 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 Good. Thanks, Kim, for sharing that. I love that she recognized her her shortcomings of the Lord and recognized that she 
needed a savior. And so that, that's a roadblock. Another roadblock I think that keeps us from, from belief is that, let's be honest, we, uh, we love our sin too much. We, we do. And, and Jesus gives us some wonderful insight here in John 3. And, and most of us know John 3.16. If, if not, you've probably heard this where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Who, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stand condemns already because they have not believed in the name of God's, God's one and only Son. And here's the verdict. Jesus gives us the verdict to our unbelief and what keeps us from completely selling out to Christ and putting our trust in him. He says this, light has come to the world, but people love what? Darkness. Instead of light, because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so I want you to realize this morning is God is not here to push you deeper into a dark cave. He says, when you come into the light and you confess your sins to the Lord, there's forgiving and there's healing. God's not just up in heaven just waiting for you to screw up and say, aha, I told you. You don't think God knows everything we've done? And so, but the thing that is, is there's a struggle because we like that sin. And, and, and listen, if, 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 if sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. Okay? So, you know, but how many know there, there's, there's a penalty we pay because of that? And what happens in the end, it does lead to death and it leads to separation. But we love that too much because we want to be our own savior. We want to be in control. We don't want those things to be exposed before the Lord. Maybe because of guilt and condemnation, but God says, no, there's no more guilt or condemnation for those who are in Christ. In fact, when you walk in the light, those things are exposed. And, and I forgive you of those things. And so we try to hide them. And God says, I already know that. Barden, I already know your past. I know everything you've done. And guess what? I still came to die for you. That's how much he loves us. Proverbs fourteen twelve said, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Man, I'll tell you what. I'll be honest with you this morning. I don't want to live my life unto myself. Because Barton Drace has made a lot of mistakes in his life, and I don't want to get at the end of my life and say, geez, I hope I did this thing right. I would much rather put my trust in the one who created me, the one who knows me the best, the one who gave his life for me, the one who conquered sin and death for me. That's who I want to put my trust in. And that's where God says, you put my trust in me and I have a purpose and a place for you and, and it's hope. And so at the end of the day, we don't want to lose control. We don't want to give, give up what we love. And, and we're prideful in so many ways. I love what C.S. Lewis says here in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that's above you. You see, this is what Easter is all about. This is why I'm at church today. Because Easter is all about dead things coming to life. That you can truly know Christ. And that you can truly overcome your belief. So how do we truly know Christ? And how do we overcome our beliefs? And here's what I want to finish with today. I want to finish with this encounter that Jesus had with with one of his disciples And Jesus encountered his disciples after his resurrection, proving to them that he was alive. But there is one disciple 
who didn't believe the others. They were telling this one disciple, hey, it's true. Jesus is alive. And he's like, I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I see it for myself. Until I actually see the scars, the nail prints in his hands and his feet. I'm not, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And I want you to see this encounter that Jesus had with this unbelieving disciple, Thomas. John 20 records it for us. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He was emphatic. He goes, I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hands and place them into my side. And do not disbelieve, but believe. Notice, let me just stop there. What was the key? To Thomas. Was it, was it actually. Did Jesus actually say. There I told you. Are you happy now? He didn't do that. Jesus came to him. And said I want you to believe. You can trust me. And I believe. The next words. That Jesus has said. Is for every single one of us. In this place. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered him and he says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. So he put his faith in him. He believed. And Jesus says to him, you believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. That's for every single one of us. So what is the key? What is the key to belief? Is it actually Jesus showing up and showing himself to you? That's not it. The key to belief is this. Belief and trust go hand in hand. You see, what I loved about Kim's testimony was this, is that we can put our belief in Christ, but our belief is seen true when we go through difficult things in our life. Am I still going to trust you, Jesus, even when things may not go my way or I go through this? Can I still trust you? That's where your faith grows when you can trust Christ through all the circumstances of your life. Belief and trust go hand in hand. Listen, the, I, can, I can look at this stool and I can say, man, this thing is constructed really nice, right? And I can look at it and say, okay, it's, 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 it's welded. It's got a nice seat on it. And I can say, that's really nice. But it isn't until I completely sit in the stool and trust it completely with all my weight that I truly believe that it can hold me. Some of you here today this is your relationship with Christ. I kind of believe, maybe, sort of, kind of. Jesus is saying, I want you to put your full weight on me, your full trust. Don't hold back. This is where your unbelief is going to change. You've got to completely trust. You've got to completely dive in completely and put your full weight on me. See, true biblical saving faith is completely trusting and relying in Christ and nothing else. I love what Charles Spurgeon says here, pastor back in the 1800s in England. 
He said, faith is believing that Christ is what he said to be and that he will do what he has promised to do and then to expect this of him. That's true saving faith. What I want to do is I want to finish with one more testimony of a guy in our church named Joe. Went through a lot of things in his life. What I appreciate about Joe's testimony, there's a point in his life, even through all the tragedy in his life, that he got to a point where he completely put his full weight on Jesus Christ. So let me finish with this. Go ahead and look at the screens and listen to Joe's testimony. My life before uh, knowing Christ was, was a, a person juggling two separate lifestyles. I had a lifestyle that I, I would show my um, family and loved ones. You know, it was basically a lifestyle that I felt they approved of. But then behind closed doors with my friends was living a very reckless and foolish lifestyle, using drugs, drinking alcohol, and making tons of poor decisions. You know, at, at that time in my life, I felt like I, I was living the best of both worlds. I was about 18, between 18 and 19 years old, and my wife, but at this time we were just dating, you know, she wasn't, uh, she was a lot smarter than I gave her credit for. She wasn't falling for the lies. She could see right through mm-hmm. my shenanigans, to say the least. And uh, instead of just up and leaving me, she asked me to start attending church with her and her family. So I did it, and, I, and I'll admit, when I first started to do this, I know that I was doing it just to appease her, to make her happy. You know, but before you knew it, two years had passed of attending church with her and her family, and at that point, I started to learn the gospel, understand it a little better, and understand who Jesus was and what he had done for us. Mm-hmm. On my 21st birthday, my, uh, my brother was killed in a motorcycle accident. We were virtually inseparable at, at that time in my life. So the accident really crushed me, put me in a, a, a really dark place. But I, I held on to what I knew of the gospel to help keep my head above water. Mm-hmm. It was a short period of time after the accident that my mother became sick with a blood infection, and it took her life quickly. Wow. And uh, when that happened, the, the anger, the hatred, mm-hmm. and the pain that my, my heart was uh, enduring was becoming overwhelming. Yeah. So I looked at my, uh, my faith as a seed sown on, on poor soil. You know, and I, I'd express this to my grandmother. You know, she was a strong Christian. Mm-hmm. We, she'd pray for me. She'd pray for our family. A short period of time after my mother's, we lost my mother and my grandmother, she passed away suddenly of a heart attack. And that was uh, the straw that broke the camel's back yeah. for me. You know, I gave up on the gospel. Um, it allowed the sins and temptations to just overwhelm my life and take me over. And I found myself back, resorting back to drugs and alcohol for pleasure. Mm-hmm. I was driving a wedge between my marriage and my family. I wasn't being the father my kids needed me to be, nor the husband that my wife deserved. Mm-hmm. So I was virtually at rock bottom at that point. So I, um, I turned to the one person I felt could help me, you know, best, and that was Pastor Barton. You know, and he, he's been known to give some good advice from time to time. <laughs> he told me that I needed to lay it at Jesus' feet. Mm-hmm. I needed to give myself 100% to Jesus, because Jesus was going to be the only person who could save me. With nowhere else to turn, that's what I did. I laid it at Jesus. You know, I prayed over and over to Jesus. I, I needed him. You know, I needed him to save me. Jesus literally worked a miracle in my life. Within a moment, 
I went from hurting and having no purpose to that pain and agony taken from my heart, the weight lifted from my chest. And that day that was the worst day of my life, all of a sudden became the best day of my life. That was the day I got saved. It took Jesus to work that miracle in my life for me to finally trust and believe in him. Since you made that commitment to Christ, how has your life changed from how it was previously? Well, the the simple way to describe it is I I have purpose, I have direction, Mm -hmm. I have hope for for my future. I've been able to grieve for my losses. I've been able to forgive, you know, those people that maybe I wasn't able to forgive prior. But the most important thing I I grabbed from um, trusting in Jesus is is the courage that Jesus gives me. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned from Jesus that it only takes a little bit of courage to make a a huge difference in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. That's great. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joe. I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord. But listen, God is not looking for people who think they have it all together. He's looking for people that are available. And listen, here's here's how Jesus changes everything. Jesus never promised us that everything here on earth was going to just work out fine. But the hope of the resurrection, see, the reason why the tomb, you know, the rock was rolled away from the tomb was not so Jesus would get out. It's so we could look in and say, he's not there to give us hope. So in my life, whatever trial I'm going through, whatever difficulty I go through, I've got to keep peering into the empty tomb because I know this isn't going to be forever. That Jesus says, even though you die, you will live with me. That's the hope that we have because of the resurrection that this world is in all that there is. And let me just say, if you're living for this world, you're going to be disappointed. This world will never satisfy you. Your pursuits will never ultimately satisfy you if that's what you're putting your hope in. That's why I loved about Joe's testimony because his whole life changed. I love when he said, it was my worst day and it was my best day. That's what Christ does. He changes everything. That's what happened with Thomas. Going from unbelief moment to belief in changing his life. That's what trust and believing does. And that's my prayer for you. So I want to pray for you. And we're just going to close in song, a song of, of hope, a song of dedication unto Christ. But here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. There, in the back of, the, of your seats, there's a response card. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a next step. Maybe there's some of you that just say, Pastor, I, 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 I need to reach out to the Lord. And we want to pray with you and help you with that. And on that response card, I want you to do one of two things. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, here's what I want Jesus to do. Here, here's what I want to do in, in my heart, in my life. And on that card, just simply put, I'm trusting Christ with my life. I'm trusting Christ with this situation that I feel is hopeless. I'm trusting Christ. You fill in the blank. And what we're going to do for you, we're going to pray for you. As a church, we want to follow. Put your name on there. Put your email on there. And we are going to follow up with you because we want to pray for you. And we want to help you in your decision that you are not alone. That we love you. That we care for you. That Christ is the one that sees your heart. He wants you to trust him. And it's a simple thing of trusting. I am trusting you with my life. Here's my mess, Jesus. Here's all my mess. I'm just going to give it to you. Here's my situation. I'm going to to trust you with it, Jesus. That's where it starts. Let us 
walk with you through that. Let us pray. And so what you do is just fill that out, pajama, and you can just leave it at your seats. We will pick those up, and we will pray with you. We will follow up with you, and we want to help you in your journey with Jesus from this moment forward. Amen? So let, let's pray together, and um, let's ask the Lord just to help us as we make this decision. Lord, as, as we bow our hearts before you, I thank you that all the answers come in you, Jesus. I thank you that you don't come to condemn us, to point out all our sins and just leave us there. But the reason why we come to you and we expose our hearts to you is so that healing can start and forgiveness can, can, can begin and that we can feel your grace and your mercy over our lives. So Lord, I pray for every heart in this place today that they would move from disbelief to, be, to belief, Lord, that you would help them see that, that your Holy Spirit would begin to draw them to that place, God, of belief. And thank you that you're the one that changes us. You're the one that gives us hope. You're the one that gives us a purpose today. So I pray that you would speak to every heart in this place today as we put our trust and our hope in you. Thank you, Jesus, for being patient with us. Thank you that you came for us when we didn't deserve it that it's by your grace and grace alone that we can be made new today. Thank you that it doesn't depend on my goodness. It depends on the goodness of Jesus Christ and my faith in him. So thank you for that. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?